Boards to shingles. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at MoneyPit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. We are very excited to be here to help you with your home improvement project. So whatever you're working on, let's pitch in and get it done together. You're going to help yourself first, though, by picking up the phone and calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about bold new paint colors for your front door. Yes, in fact, there are color trends that apply just to your doorway. We're going to tell you what you can do to add some drama to that space. And also ahead, if you're working to pay off your mortgage, you might be surprised to learn that being free from mortgage payments is a myth. We'll tell you why and learn more about mortgage options from financial expert Rick Edelman a little later this hour. Plus, learn how to design a brand new kid's room that's healthy for children and the environment. And this hour, one caller we talked to on the air is going to get a signed copy of our book, My Home, My Money Pit, Your Guide to Every Home Improvement Adventure. And believe me, you get this book, we're going to keep you busy for the entire year. So let's get to it. The number is one eight 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 money pit 888-666-3974. Leslie, who's first? Jan in Kansas is on the line with a home that seems to be cracking up. Tell us what's going on. Well, I've got a lot of problems. Uh, it's an old house. It's um, over 50 years old. You have a lot of opportunities, Jan. Not a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've got some cracks in the wall, and I have okay. one crack that is uh, going from the dining room to the kitchen, and I believe it's cracking on both sides of the wall. Same okay. crack. Uh, you said it's 50 years old. Do you know if it's plaster lath? It's sheetrock. It's drywall? Okay. So, you know, fixing that is not a big deal. The thing is that most people usually fix it incorrectly. What they'll do is they'll try to spackle it. And by spackling it, you're pretty much guaranteeing that it's going to re-crack. What you have to do is, is sand down the area so you get rid of any glaze from the paint or dirt or anything like that. And then you're going to cover it with drywall tape. And you want to use the mesh type of tape that's sticky. So you put a strip of tape across the crack, and then you spackle right over that tape. And you'll use three layers of spackle. And the easiest way to apply this is if you buy the plastic uh, spackling knives, you can buy one that starts at around four inches, then you go to six, then you go to eight. And they're pretty inexpensive, and you use that to apply the spackle, and you sand in between each coat, and then you prime and paint, and you're done. So those are the proper steps. Where most people go wrong is they just try to do a quick and dirty spackling job, and they wonder why it cracks again and again and again, because that's basically an expansion joint right now. And unless you spread the repair across both sides of it with new drywall tape, it will continue to show up. Tom in North Carolina, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? We have a house that's about, um, it was built in 2007. Um, it's about 2,700 square feet. And we have um, two air conditioner heat pump, you know, electric air conditioning heat pump units in it. And um, we've we've just been having, you know, a headache after headache with trying to cool the house and heat the house with them. Um, you know, we have we have a vaulted like a kind of a vaulted ceiling, which looked great when we bought the house, and the registers are on the floor. But we're constantly, you know, the air conditioning and the heat units are just running and running and running and running and running, and never really cooling down the house or heating down the house. The insulation is excellent in the house. You know, I'm trying to figure out any alternatives. We have we do have a gas fireplace, which basically is 
really doesn't heat the house much. But First of all, you're saying that it doesn't work in the cooling mode or the heating mode. Is that correct? No, the cooling mode, it does it does work. But, you know, it, it cools the house down, but it seems like the units run a lot. You know, not, and actually, to be quite honest with you, we, did, we put some tent and stuff on some of the windows where they're getting direct sunlight. But the heating side of it is just terrible. My kids are freezing on the second floor. Um, we have a bonus room over the garage, which is pretty much insulated. We keep that door closed. It stays cool in there, and it just runs cold all the time. And when I bring guys, you know, people out to look at it, they say the units run fine, but, you know, uh, you might want to put ductwork here, ductwork there, ductwork here. Well, I mean, there may be some truth to that. First of all, the fact of the matter is that you need to understand that heating heat pump systems work different than fossil-fueled systems. A fossil-fueled system is going to warm air up and it'll come out of the register at like, you know, 125, 135 degrees. A heat pump works different. A heat pump is going to throw air out at maybe 90 degrees. And so very often with a heat pump, you you hear complaints of that, well, it blows cold air. Well, it doesn't really blow cold air, but the fact is that if you have a little moisture on your skin, you put your hand in front of it, that moisture evaporates and that makes it feel very chilly. And that's one of the reasons it's uncomfortable. Then, of course, if it can't keep up with demand, then it switches to its backup system, which is electric resistance heat. And, of course, that's really expensive to run. The heat pump thermostat is designed to maintain a two-degree temperature differential between what it is in the house and what you set it at. So if you set it at um, 72 degrees and it falls to 70 in the house, the heat pump will come on. If it falls to 69 or 68, the electric resistance heat will come on. Now the the air coming out of the ducts is going to be much warmer, but you just more than doubled your expense. Now, if the system is not doing its job, there's a couple of things I would look at before I thought about replacing it, one of which is the duct design. Because if you're not getting, if the, if you're not getting enough return air back to those units, then that could definitely be... Uh, a contributing factor. You said that you've addressed the insulation part of it. Um, in terms of your thermostat, are you on a clock setback thermostat? Yeah, and we have it. We have it, I mean, it's at 66 degrees in the wintertime. That's what we have, 66 and 67. We don't ever... Maybe your kids are cold just because you haven't turned the thermostat up. <laughs> uh, well, we're from up north, so we can deal with that. But what, what happens is when it starts running and running and running and running and running, it's just like, that's all I keep hearing, all, you know, like every two seconds, click, 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 click. But, um, you, know, I, you know, we have the option of, of propane. And, you know, uh, being from up north, I lived with wood-burning stoves. And, you know, I grew up in Vermont. And, you know, we had oil heat and electric backup for emergencies and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm just wondering if there's anything on the propane side that might be more efficient. Well, cert- certainly if you went to any kind of a fossil fueled system, it's going to put out warmer air. But I would want to make sure that the duct system was properly designed and installed before I do before I do that. Because if you change out your furnace and it turns out that the duct system isn't, isn't installed properly or designed properly... You know, if I was going to make a change, I would not want to just kind of get a seat of the pants opinion by an HVAC technician. I would want somebody who designs these systems for a living giving you a a, you know, a good reasoned explanation as to what's wrong with the system and why it needs to be fixed. I want you to guard against, you know, the handy guy that comes out that maybe just most of the furnace service going, well, you could throw a duct in here, throw a duct in there. That's not what you want. I mean, there's a science behind this. It's not, it, it's, it's not a guess. You can figure out how many BTUs you need to heat a house, how many BTUs you need to cool a house. It's called a heat loss analysis or heat loss calculation. And somebody that does this, 
professionally can handle that. So I would take a look at the duct system first, see if it really is designed correctly, because frankly, many times it's not. And then based on that, decide if you want to change uh, to a different type of heating system or perhaps even add supplemental heat on your own. For example, you might decide that in that bonus room where it's cold all the time, that maybe some electric baseboard radiators in there would be a very inexpensive way to pick up just a little bit of heat, extra heat when you need it, assuming it doesn't need to be on all the time. You know, it could be a low installation cost, certainly a lot less than replacing your furnace, and you could just have it when you want it. But take a look at the duct design first. Nine out of ten times, that's the source of this kind of issue as you've described it. Thanks, guys. You're welcome, Tom. Good luck with that project. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Now you can call in your home repair or your home improvement question 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at 1-888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. Up next, we've got tips on eye-popping colors that will add interest and drama to your front door. Find out what's hot for 2014, get your paintbrush ready, and step up your curb appeal. We'll tell you how next. You live in a body pit. The Money Pit is brought to you by Lutron's new Maestro Occupancy Sensing Switch. Never ask, who left the lights on again? Starting at around $20, this motion-sensing light switch turns the lights on automatically when you walk into a room and off when you leave and works with all types of light bulbs. Learn more at LutronSensors.com. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call at 1-888-MONEYPIT. If you do, we will send you a fantastic prize if we draw your name out of the Money Pit hard hat. It is, in fact, a graffiti-strewn copy of our book, My Home, My Money Pit, Your Guide to Every Home Improvement Adventure. And if you'd prefer that we not sign it so that you can resell it on eBay for 25 cents, uh, we can do that too. So just give us a call right now for the answer to your question, 888-666-3974. Charles in Iowa is on the line with a plumbing question. What's going on, Charles? You got a noisy toilet? Yeah, I do. You know, my uh, wife and I bought this house about four years ago. The house is about seven years old. And um, right above our room that we have our fireplace in, so it's a nice room to sit in and talk and socialize, we have our um, a restroom above that on the second floor. And anytime that that toilet is used, uh, whether it's flushed or whether somebody is, you know, literally using it, you can hear the water being displaced. And um, it's kind of right above um, one of the can lights for our fireplace. And so I'm not sure if that's the reason why it's really loud, but I've never heard water being displaced before um, dripping down a pipe. And I know that I don't have any leaks I'm just wanting to know, one, was it plumbed right? Uh, two, if so, what can I do about it? Kind of ruining the ambiance of that, uh, f- <laughs> that fire, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. yeah the, the fireplace uh, doesn't carry, uh, doesn't carry the, the peaceful setting that it's supposed to when that happens. i got to tell you that, um, well, first of all, is it plumbed right? It probably is. Is it plumbed in a way that makes a lot of sense? Probably not, because we find often that upstairs bathrooms are run through inappropriate areas like dining rooms where you have to listen to it while you're sitting and having dinner, you know, or in your case, your sitting room. 
uh, plumbers should take better care to make sure that those pipes don't go into areas where they're going to disturb people. What can you do about it? Well, I mean, there are different ways that you can soundproof walls and ceilings uh, with varying levels of effectiveness. You know, a very easy way to do the ceiling, and this would require, since you mentioned you have hi-hats, some reconfiguring of those lights, though, um, would be to put a layer of homosote on the ceiling as an isolation barrier and then another layer of drywall over that, and that will make that ceiling much quieter. I wonder, though, if this is a situation where, you know, it's really just a situation where you have to get used to it. Well, I appreciate you guys' help, and I enjoy your show, so uh, thanks a lot. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Okay, it's time to tell you about the latest color trends. Forget this. Your front door. Yes, even your front door has got to follow the latest in color trends. So no longer can you say you're a slave to fashion. You can say that you are a slave to front door color trends. (laughs) So according to color expert and president of Sensational Color, Kate Smith, there are 10 new colors that are sure to show up on a door near you. First, bold colors. They're going to convey energy and exuberance. Those are going to be very popular. Hues that speak to those emotions include Dynamo Raspberry, Raucous Orange, and Quixotic Plum. I'm not sure what Quixotic Plum is, but it sounds exuberant. (laughs) (laughs) Now, another trend is using classic colors, maybe like a rich, saturated hue. Colors like classic French gray and polished mahogany are in that category. Oh my gosh, I have a polished mahogany door, so I am a trendsetter. Blue is also becoming very popular for doors, and that includes Capri Blue, Gulfstream Blue, and Georgian Bay, a slightly brighter version of Navy. These also made the top 10 list as well. And two final colors to round it out. They are Relic Bronze and a showstopper, a bright red that really pops. So for 2014, the advice is to go bold with your door, and you can welcome family and friends to an entry that really pops. Karen in Kansas has taken on a tiling project. How can we help you with that? Yes, we were wondering the difference between the snapstone. What's the pros and cons of that and the traditional? Well, I mean, the snapstone is an easy installation. It's really aimed at DIYers, and Mm -hmm. it makes it a lot easier to put it together. I mean, you don't have to align them because you'll get, like, sort of perfect Mm -hmm. uh, quarter inch or so. Yeah, you get, like, perfect grout lines with it. Um, You can actually physically take them apart and reuse them if you want. But uh, it's just a lot easier for a DIYer to install them. Are you going to do this yourself? Yes. that's We were going to try starting in our bathroom and see how it looked. And yeah. if it worked, if we could do it right, then we were going to continue on into the kitchen and dining room. Well, what you're probably going to need to do is rent a wet saw because right. cutting the tile is what separates the pros from the DIYers. You know, if you don't have the mm-hmm. right if you have the right tools, it's really easy. If you don't, it's just not. And uh-huh. tiling is very unforgiving. But if it's a small area, a small project, and you've never done tile before, I think, you know, going with the Snapstone is probably a good first uh, attempt. It, it, it'll be probably more forgiving than if you did it with regular tile. Cost-wise, I mean, uh, how long would it last? compared to the other, do you think? I think it should last the same time, which is pretty much indefinitely. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, the only yeah. downside I can see is that you've only got 11 tile choices, so you got to like what they've got. Whereas if you're uh-huh. installing tile in a traditional sense, you you know, sky's the limit as far as tile choice, layout, pattern, design, everything. You know, so if you're okay with something 
you know, in their color palette, which seems like a good run. You know, it looks like there could be something for your job. You know, then I say do it. Okay. Well, thank you so very much. How do you know it's winter? Well, Ken in Wisconsin is dealing with ice and snow in the gutters. Ken, sorry you are dealing with this weather. How can we help you today? Well, what I've got is i got a ranch-style home. I put an addition on, and since I put the addition on now, when I get snow, we had to snow. I got about eight inches on the roof, but now i got got ice build up in the gutters, and it's now backed up a little bit, and i got icicles probably four or five foot long. And I'm afraid it's going to back up into the house. How do I stop that, or is there a way to get it uh, melted and get rid of it. Okay, so so this is an addition, and it's only happening on the addition, and it's not happening on the main house? No, it's happening on the main house and the addition. Both, okay. So this is what is known as ice damming. And the reason ice dams happen is because warm air uh, gets up into your attic space around sort of the middle of your house because you don't have enough insulation. And then it heats the roof right above the heated space of the house. And that lets the snow melt. And then the snow washes down the roof edge until it gets to that line of about right above the exterior wall. That's when it starts to get a lot colder and starts to form ice. And then more snow melts, more ice forms. More snow melts, more ice forms. So that's what's happening. That's the reason this is happening. How can we stop this? Well, a few things. First of all, it's a good idea to take a look at your level of insulation. And in your part of the country, you really should have 15 to 20 inches of insulation, if not a bit more. Adding insulation will stop the ice dams from forming because you won't have as much water running down your roof all at once and freezing at the roof edge. The second thing that you can do is take a look at the ventilation. If you have good ventilation that goes in the soffit up under the roof sheathing and out, like, for example, at a ridge vent, again, that ventilation stops the difference in temperature across that particular area. Remember, we're holding the heat at the ceiling of the house. Above the insulation, in a perfect world, we want that to actually be the same temperature as the outside, because if it is you're not going to have this disproportional melting of snow up higher on the roof and that water running down and freezing at the roof edge. I'm guessing we had nothing was a problem until I put the addition on. I wonder if they didn't put enough insulation in the addition, and that's where I'm having an issue. It may very well. have been. That's why I was trying to figure out if it happens all the way around or just the addition, because I was kind of thinking the same thing myself. Now, the other thing that you can do is, and of course you can't do it now when your your roof is full of ice, but... Um, There are heating coils that are designed to go at a roof edge, but it's not the solution. It's, 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 It's a temporary solution, if anything. And, of course, it's expensive to run and it's expensive to buy and install. But sometimes in commercial buildings or restaurants, hotels, where they want to be sure that none of the ice is going to fall and hurt somebody, you'll see these electric coils right above those areas for this purpose to kind of melt the ice and turn it back to water and and be done with it. So that's an opportunity for you. But again, I would rather see you put the insulation in because besides stopping the ice from forming, you're going to lower your heating costs, which are going to be astronomical if you don't have enough insulation. So take a look at the insulation, take a look at the ventilation. I think your solution lies right there. I will do that. I appreciate that advice. Good luck, Ken. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Still to come, owning a house that's mortgage free? That's the American dream, right? Well, one expert says that it's not what it is cracked up to be and may not even exist. We'll tell you why after this.
making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Well, for homeowners, your monthly mortgage payment is a check you just have to write. Kind of like death and taxes, there's no avoiding it. You might be working to pay it off as soon as possible, but the idea that paying off your mortgage quickly to avoid that monthly payment is a myth. That's right. In fact, our next guest says that carrying a big mortgage for a long time is actually a great idea. Here to explain why is Rick Edelman, host of The Rick Edelman Show on radio and founder of Rick Edelman Financial Services. Welcome to the program again, Rick. How are you doing? Leslie, terrific. Thank you very much. Hi, Tom. Hey, Rick. So first question, you say a mortgage is cheap money. I couldn't agree with you more. Let's talk about that, especially in light of the rates we've all been enjoying. Yeah, these are historically low interest rates. We'll probably never see rates this low again for the rest of our lifetimes. And to not take advantage of that fact is a huge wasted opportunity. We all know that debt is part of our lives. There's really no way around it. We buy cars with debt, college with debt, homes with debt. So you might as well borrow while the cost is extraordinarily low. Now, um, one of the things that we all wrestle with when we get a mortgage is, gosh, can we afford it? But you say that mortgage payments get easier over time. Why is that? It's counterintuitive, but it's really true. Uh, I remember my father teasing me uh, that he uh, kept uh, looking at his monthly mortgage payment compared to mine, and his was a couple of hundred dollars a month. And the reason was he'd had his mortgage for over 20 years. When he bought his house many, many years ago, his income grew over time, but his mortgage payment was fixed. And we'll enjoy the very same thing that my dad enjoyed, is that when you get a mortgage today, a 30-year loan, that's a fixed monthly payment for 30 years, but you're going to enjoy increases in your salary so that as time goes on, the payment gets easier and easier. Now, Rick, do you think there's any sort of negative impact on your, I guess, your equity if you refinance or if you're in the process of looking for a better mortgage rate or deal? No, there's no downside. This is the really neat part about the whole thing. A lot of people say, should I refinance now? Because I think if I wait, rates will get even better. But here's the good news. Go ahead and refinance right now. There's no downside to your credit record or your credit rating. Go ahead and try to refinance. If you can get a lower payment, go ahead and do it. And if rates get even better, you just refinance again. In the old days, your parents and your grandparents or great-grandparents, they would have one house and one mortgage their whole lives. Not us today. Today, people tend to move from time to time into two, three, four different homes over the course of their careers, and we get different mortgages. People over the last five, ten years have refinanced half a dozen times. No downside to it. It's smart financial planning. We're talking to Rick Edelman. He's the host of The Rick Edelman Show on radio and founder of Edelman Financial Services about why it makes good sense to carry a big, long mortgage. Rick, most people think the opposite. They think that mortgages lock you in. They they prevent you from doing things. You say that mortgages give you greater liquidity and flexibility. What do you mean by that? What people forget is that the only way to get rid of the mortgage is to pay it off, either give a big down payment up front or to make big uh contributions beyond the monthly requirement on an ongoing basis. Well, every time you write a check to the mortgage company, that's money you're giving away. It's money you'll never see again. When you have a big mortgage, it means you've kept your cash. And by you keeping your cash, you have the money available to you to finance other aspects of your life, college savings, retirement savings, bill paying, health care costs, whatever it might happen to be. Having a mortgage means you didn't give your cash away 
when you bought the house. And finally, Rick, you say to never get rid of your monthly payment, no matter how hard you try. Why is that? I mean, isn't it the goal of most of us to try to have a quote-unquote mortgage-free house? Yes. Everybody, uh, take it a step further, everybody loves the idea of owning their home outright. That's the American dream. Own your home outright. Get rid of the mortgage and you can own your home free and clear. That's nonsense. There's no such thing as owning your home outright. If only because of repairs and maintenance, insurance, and taxes. You're always going to have costs associated with the home. The thought that you will own the home free and clear is a pipe dream. It's fantasy. It doesn't exist. And that's why this program is called The Money Pit. Rick Edelman, host of The Rick Edelman Show on radio, founder of Edelman Financial Services. Thank you so much for sharing your advice with us. If you'd like to learn more about Rick, you can go to his website, which is rickedelman.com which is spelled Rice Delman, R-I-C-E-D-E-L-M-A-N.com. Thanks again, Rick. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, still to come, designing a kid's room. It's a really fun project for all of you involved, both you and your kids. But making sure that the design you guys come up with is safe and healthy, that's even more important. We're going to tell you how to avoid the most common hazards next. You live in a body pit. Starting an outdoor staining project? Make it faster and easier with Flood Wood Care products. Start today at flood.com slash simplify and use the interactive selection guide to find the right Flood Wood Care products for your project. Flood, simple across the board. Making good homes better. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT. One of you lucky callers that we talked to on the air this hour is going to win a copy of our book, My Home, My Money Pit, Your Guide to Every Home Improvement Adventure. Plus, if you request, we will even sign it for you. Or if you prefer to have one that's graffiti free, we can give you a clean copy too. 888-666-3974. Let's get to it. Gayla in California is having an issue with the countertop. Tell us what's going on. I am. About four and a half years ago, I remodeled my kitchen and installed Corian countertops. And I used a pattern called Savannah. It's one of the light ones. So I'm getting ready now to sell my home. And looking at the countertops, they're really, there's sounds like I mean, thousands of hairline scratches. And I'm wondering, how can I bring back their luster? They never were shiny, but, you know, they were lustrous. Yeah, they do have like a satin finish that looks very rich and nice. But obviously over time, just from, you know, normal wear and tear, um, they are going to dull and, you know, not look so great. Um, there's a good website that generally specializes in granite and marble care. It's called stonecare.com, but they do have some products for Corian. And there's actually a spray you know, it's made to reduce a residue on the surface. I'm not sure it's going to help you with the scratches, but it could be a good starting point. It's called their um, Deep Cleaner for Corian, and that might be a good place to start, at least. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know that they're that dirty. I do keep them quite clean, but it's um it's just a question. It's just those hairline scratches, and when the sun comes through the window, you really see them. What that product does is it will also pull out any residue from all the cleaning that you have been doing so religiously, which is a good thing. The other nice thing, though, about Corian is the scratches can be repaired. And if you they, the Corian can be repolished, basically lightly sanded, so to speak. Oh, I was wondering and, about that. 
Right, to actually pull those scratches right out. So that's not something that I would recommend that you do the first time out. <laughs> no, but I don't think But if you contact so. a, a kitchen cabinet company, for example, they might have an installer, and for a reasonably small fee, they might come out and repolish those tops for you. They're going to have all the tools and the equipment as well, and probably they can pull many of those scratches right out. Well, thank you. That sounds like the way to go for me. All right. Well, good luck with that project, and good luck selling your house. Well, thank you, and, and best to you both. Well, designing and decorating a kid's room is a lot of fun, especially when you get your kids involved in the planning. But what makes it even better is knowing that the materials and the products that you are choosing are safe for your growing little munchkins. Now, paints and carpeting and even some furniture, they're known to release harmful VOCs, which are volatile organic compounds. So instead, you want to make sure that you choose products that have certified low emitting paint and fabrics that aren't treated with any chemicals. Now, if you want to be super cautious, it's also a good idea to plan time to let any newly remodeled areas sort of air out. So how do you do that? Well, you paint well ahead of time, maybe a couple of weeks before anyone moves in. You give some time for that room to air out. If folks are already in the house, maybe seal it off and open the windows. Same goes for rugs and upholstered furniture. You might even want to put those into the garage. Let them air out in that space before you move them into the house. Also, you want to look for two labels to ensure that you're getting safe products. One of them is the Green Guard label, which means that it's been tested for low chemical emissions by an independent company. And this label is a especially important when it comes to your mattress. Last, check out the UL mark. You need to look for that, especially on any electrical items, because it's the way that you will know that those products are safe. 888-666-3974. Let's get back to those phones. Leslie, who's next? Tony in Iowa is having a hot and cold water situation. What's going on? Well, I've got an electric water heater, and the the main feed that comes in from, from the city that goes into my uh, electric water heater, it's a cold line. But, yeah, I get cold water to come out of my faucets and everything, but that cold water line up around through the, up around through the uh, water heater there, it's hot. The, the line when I touch it. And I'm just curious what's going on with that. So you have an electric water heater and that's going to be fed by a cold water line and it's going to go through the water heater and come out as a hot water line. That's correct. Okay. And so what's the problem? So far it's normal. The, the water line that goes into the water heater, the cold water? Yes. Yep. That line is hot. Well, some of the heat from the water heater can be working its way back up the pipe. So you may be feeling some conductive heat that comes from the hot water in the water heater itself could be making that pipe warm. But if you go farther down the line, you're going to feel that it's cold again. It goes in cold and comes out hot, but the fitting right around the top might feel like it's a bit warm. But that's only because of the conductive heat of the water in the water heater coming back up the metal pipe. Okay, that alleviates my concerns, Dan. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Now we've got Maria in Delaware on the line who needs help with a paneling painting project. So you got a new house and it's got a lot of it, huh, Maria? It sure does. Um, you know, about 25 years ago, the paneling was probably very popular. But um, I'm really tired of looking at it. We tried painting one room. And, um, you know, we sanded it a little bit, primed it, and painted it. I'm okay with that, but my husband is not because you can still see the grooves through the paint. So we were wondering if there was a way to take care of those grooves, maybe spackling it or whatever, but we didn't want the spackling to later flake out or chip off and, and cause more problems than we already have. 
So hopefully you know of some way that we can do this without just taking all the paneling down. Yeah, anything that you're going to fill in is just going to come out just like you think. So really the best thing is to either sheathe over it with, you know, like a, a half-inch drywall or take the paneling off and put drywall on. Okay, a half-inch drywall. So what, how would that affect the molding that we have? I mean, all that would have to be replaced as well like around windows, everything? Yeah, you'd have to pull that off. The thing is, what you might want to try first, though, is just removing the paneling and seeing what's underneath it because there might be a halfway decent wall underneath it. If, if, if you're lucky enough to find out that the paneling was not glued to those walls, then maybe you can just repair the wall, spackle the nail holes, fix any tear, torn areas or any other damage, and then just paint the walls again because... That paneling was often nailed on with, like, a very thin ring nail. Yes, it was nailed on. I can see the nails in that. Yeah, it usually pulls off pretty easily. So I would, the first thing I would do is pull that paneling off. Nothing you put over that paneling in terms of there's no, no way to really fill it in, because I know what you're asking us to do, but there's no way to do that, because it's going to crack and fall out, and it's going to look worse than it does now. So if you don't like the painted look and you want to go back to uh, just a clean wall, I would take the paneling down. You know, do it one wall at a time, one area at a time, until you get the hang of it. And this way you can almost not do any molding work whatsoever because generally that stuff's cut around the molding or you can cut the paneling really tight to the molding and leave it there. Okay, thank you both so much for your help. You're very welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, it's nice to have a dry home during the winter months, but how dry is too dry? And how should you be taking care of your humidifier? We'll share all of that with you when we come back. You live in a body pit. pit. Starting an outdoor staining project? Make it faster and easier with Floodwood Care Products. Start today at flood.com slash simplify and use the interactive selection guide to find the right flood wood care products for your project. Flood, simple across the board. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show, making good homes better. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Give us a call with your home improvement project or better yet, head on over to our website at moneypit.com. Post your question on the community section or in the community section, I should say, just like Susan did who says she has a ranch house on a cement slab. Heating ducts are under the house. We closed them off with cement, installed electric baseboard heat, but the ducts leaked water. The question is, should drainage be added to the house, or does it matter now that the ducts are sealed off? You know, the situation here, Susan, is that you have bad drainage outside your house. I would not panic because you have a bit of water that got into the sub-slab ducts. It's not that unusual, but you don't want it to be an ongoing problem because that moisture can mix with debris that's in the water or dirt that gets down there, and it can grow mold, and that's just not a good thing to have growing under your house. So what we would tell you to do is to look at the drainage conditions outside your home. Take a look at the gutter system. Make sure that it's clean, free-flowing, and extended away from the house. Make sure that the uh, grading slopes away. You want to keep that first four to five to six feet of soil around the house sloping away. That's the kind of thing that will stop that water from showing up in the duct. So that's what I would focus on. All right. Our next post comes from C. Nichols, who writes, I live in a 130-year-old house with heart of pine flooring throughout. I want to refinish it. Do you have any tips? 
You know, I think our tips, Leslie, would be work carefully, right? I mean, heart of pine flooring is gorgeous, but it's also softwood. And so that means you have to be very, very careful about how you sand it and finish it. If it's really flat, reliably flat, not uneven, but reliably flat, you could use a machine called a U-sand machine, which is an orbital disc sanding machine that very slowly takes off just the top surface of the wood. Um, if it needs more sanding than that, you're probably going to have to do it by hand. I would not put a belt sander on this floor because it's going to cut right through it. You have to do it by hand with like a vibrating sander or something of that nature. When it comes to finish, you can use a low-gloss urethane. I would not put anything with a high-gloss on it. It won't look right on a pine floor. Mm -hmm. So use a low-gloss urethane. Apply it with a lamb's wool applicator, at least three coats, and you'll be good to go. Yeah, just make sure you let it dry, absolutely dry in between coats. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a sticky mess. Well, dry winter heat can really irritate your skin and dry out your nasal passages and just give you a scratchy throat. But a whole house humidifier can help. Now, if you can't afford one, you may consider a room humidifier. But that can only work if you keep it running properly. Leslie has tips on how to do just that in this week's edition of Leslie's Last Word. That's right. You know, if they're not maintained, humidifiers... They can get clogged and stop working, or worst case scenario, they can actually distribute mold and bacteria through your house. So you need to clean your humidifier as recommended by the manufacturer. Now, one trick of the trade is to soak the evaporator pad in a white vinegar and water solution. You know, your humidifier, it often gets clogged by the mineral salts that are left behind as the water is evaporating and moisturizing the air in the room. And the vinegar is actually going to melt that salt away and really is the only thing that's going to clean it off. You want to make sure that you rinse it very, very well, though. Otherwise, you'll notice that in certain areas of your house where you're using this humidifier, you might really start craving salad with maybe Italian dressing or vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Remember, white vinegar, not red vinegar. Right. <laughs> This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Coming up next time on the program, if you have a new home, chances are pretty high that you have a forced air heating system. I mean, it's the most popular kind. But if you've got the option, is a forced air system really your best bet? We're going to talk about that on the next edition of the Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Live in a body pit.